Lynn. She's our missionary there uh, in Uganda. Amazing things that um, she's been accomplishing in Common Kali uh, with uh, his farm and now his primary school. And so praise the Lord. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, Pastor Matt, why don't we do any of those songs here? I don't know. I didn't recognize any, any of them. We had to... I have to see if we can add them into our playlist. All right, well, praise the Lord. We're going to take a look then uh, this morning at our scripture. First, let me remind you or, or just say last week we kicked off our church-wide uh, small group study through the book of Acts. And, you know, fingers crossed, so far I've been getting really, really good feedback from the people I've talked to who met in groups last week. I met in three different groups last week. And I got to tell you, I don't know if anything's going on with you, but over the last two weeks since I've been working on this Holy Spirit series for Sunday mornings and the Acts study for uh, for small groups, uh, I have personally found myself becoming more attentive uh, to the Holy Spirit, listening a, a little more, being more aware of His presence, talking to Him more directly, and really being far more, um, far more aware of my need and, and my dependence on Him. In, in some ways, it's kind of beginning to remind me a little bit when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit many, many, many years ago. And let me just say, if that concept is, is uh, new for you, there is a difference between being baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll talk about that in some detail in the coming weeks. But let me just say this. If you're part of Resurrection Church and you've not yet committed to walk through this study with some other people, or if in all honesty, uh, you, you stepped into this study uh, kind of, uh, of half-heartedly, I want to take a moment and challenge you right now in the name of the Lord to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to set a fire in you. Uh, if you've not committed or you've kind of just kind of stepped into it half-heartedly, maybe you know, you know inside your embers are burning low. Uh, your wick is burning low. Then I want to challenge you this morning in the name of Jesus to ask the Holy Spirit to blow on those embers, to breathe on that wick, to stir of the fire of God in you. I believe God is up to something. And I believe he wants you in tune with the Holy Spirit to be a maximum participant in whatever it is he's doing and about to do. By the way, just a reminder, this particular study is designed so that you read the material on your own, you go through the material we post online on your own, then when you gather with your group, you talk through what you've read and looked at and, and, and put together. One last thing, please go ahead and mark your calendars now to join us next Sunday night, one week from today, next Sunday night, February 19th, 6 o'clock here for Let's Talk About. It. It's a chance to ask questions, to give feedback in a casual environment, just to kind of talk through questions you have about the Holy Spirit, about the book of Acts, whatever. I think it'll be great. I hope you'll be here for that. So having said all that, I want to get into what I believe the Lord has for us today. Last week, we talked fundamentally about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And we looked at the fact that in some mysterious yet powerful and real way, Jesus and the Holy Spirit really are one. Uh, that they are one as God in the Holy Trinity. We look to the interaction between the Holy Spirit and Jesus during his initial earthly sojourn here with us. And then we looked at the incredible things, the numerous incredible things the Holy Spirit is still doing right now today with the Lord Jesus to see people born again and saved. This morning, I want to turn our attention a little bit away from the Holy Spirit and Jesus to the Holy Spirit and you. And with that in mind, just to kind of get us focused and moving, will you stand with me, please, as you're able? And we're going to read together, just to get going today, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through the passage together. Acts chapter 1, the beginning of verse 4, this is what the Bible says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem 
But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now this, I I think personally, is a fascinating little passage of Scripture. I want to take just a few minutes to look at it just a little more closely this morning. And the very first thing I want you to notice out of this passage of Scripture is that in Acts 1-5, when the Lord Jesus tells His disciples, in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, they respond in Acts 1-6 by asking Him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of to Israel. Now that question seems a little tone deaf to you. It's because in many ways it is. Jesus was talking to his disciples about an event unprecedented in human history. A coming event of literally biblical proportions. And they could not manage in that moment to get past the current politics of their time. They could not manage in that moment to get beyond their deep desire to see Jesus make Judea great again. It's a problem, to be perfectly honest with you, that has afflicted many Christians over the last few years. But the bottom line is this. This particular exchange between the Lord Jesus and His followers reveals something important about his followers and something important about the Holy Spirit. Now, sadly, in terms of the disciples, their question clearly suggests that they were still largely earthly-minded. They were absolutely convinced at this point that the Lord Jesus was the Lord Jesus, that he was the promised Messiah come from God. They were convinced he had physically inaugurated the promised resurrection of the dead. But they still fundamentally understood the ministry of the Messiah and the promise of the kingdom of God in terms of national Israel and this present world. In other words, they had a lot to learn about God and His will and His plan. Now, some years later, the Apostle Paul wrote, Since then, you have uh, been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. But sadly, at least by the time of Acts chapter 1, the apostles weren't quite, quite there yet. And I want to stop here just for a moment and try to encourage you a little bit if I can. Because we're talking here in Acts chapter 1 about Peter and James and John and, and, and folk like that. Major figures in the early church. Some of whom went on to write books of the Bible. 
And yet at this moment in their walk with God, after having spent three years being personally discipled by Jesus, they still had a ton to learn. There was still a ton they didn't understand. They still had lots and lots to learn, and yet God was willing to work through them anyway. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a fairly new Christian, or maybe, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, but you still feel like there's just so much you don't understand, I want to tell you that is exactly where the apostles were in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, after spending three years walking with Jesus. So listen, do not let yourself be disheartened when you don't know something. And do not let yourself be disheartened even if you get something wrong. Rather, just be humble. Be open to correction. Be open to instruction. Be eager to learn. And I promise you, if you will do that, God will be delighted to work through you just as he was delighted to do that with the apostles. This teaching series is about the Holy Spirit. It's not about the first apostles. And so uh, the question really is, what can we learn about him? What can we learn about the Spirit of God from this interchange, this exchange between Jesus and his disciples in Acts 1, 5, and 6? And the answer to that question begins with another question. Namely, why? Why did the apostles ask Jesus what they asked him in Acts chapter 1, 6? Why? When Jesus said, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, why did the apostles reply, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I've already said part of the reason is because they were too earthly-minded. And I believe that's absolutely true. But I believe it is the smaller part of the reason. I believe there's a much greater reason that they responded with this question. And it has to do with the promise of the Holy Spirit. After all, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What time were they talking about? the time Jesus was going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. In other words, something about this promised coming of the Holy Spirit connected in their minds with the restoration of national Israel. Now you need to understand, since at least 586 B.C., when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and, and, and sent uh, uh, the Jews into exile, up until way past the time of the book, writing of the book of Acts, from all of that period of time, the land of Israel had been more or less continually dominated by some foreign power or another. And something about Jesus' promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit led the apostles to imagine the overthrowing of those foreign powers. In their particular case, the Roman Empire. What did they know about the Holy Spirit that might lead them to think in that direction? We need to remember that the Lord's first followers, his first disciples, were good Jewish boys. They'd been raised in kosher homes where they celebrated the Passover every year and learned lessons from the Old Testament every week, if not every day, in some of those homes. And no book in the Old Testament spoke more profoundly to their present circumstance than the book of Judges. Judges was written before Israel had a king. God had already given them the promised land. But because of their ongoing sin and rebellion, from time to time, God would allow them to be overrun and oppressed by some foreign uh, army, some foreign nation or another. 
Every time that would happen, eventually the people would repent, cry out to God for help, and he would send someone to deliver them. Someone he would anoint, someone he would appoint to be a judge among them, to fight for them and liberate the nation. And so listen just to a couple of passages from the Old Testament book of Judges. In Judges chapter 3, for example, at this point the Lord had allowed the nation of Israel to be oppressed by the king of Aram. And after eight years of that oppression, the Bible says this, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord, say the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cush Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. Or consider Judges chapter 6. At this point, God had given the nation of Israel over to be overrun and dominated by the Midianites. And in verse 34 we read, Then the Spirit of the Lord, say the Spirit of the Lord, came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. Eventually, through the miraculous help of God, Gideon routed the Midianites and drove them out. Consider Judges chapter 11. When the king of Ammon set out to wage war against Israel. Verse 29, the Bible says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord, say the Spirit of the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He attacked the Ammonites, and with the Lord's help, the Bible says he devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Mineth as far as Abel, Ki, Ramim. Ramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. Perhaps most famous of all you find in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. At that time, the Lord allowed the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, to be overrun and dominated by the Philistines. Forty years! They were dominated by the Philistines, and eventually the Lord raised up a new deliverer, a young man by the name of Samson. The Bible says in uh, Judges 13, He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. At one point, Samson was attacked by a lion. The Bible says in Judges 14, The Spirit of the Lord, say the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, I don't know why he would have torn a young goat. I, I can't figure out for the life of me why the writer it felt like that was an appropriate analogy to use here. You know, he could have torn a leaf or something. But nevertheless, I, I think you get uh, the point of it all. A little later in Judges 14, 19, speaking of Samson still, the Bible says, Then the Spirit of the Lord, say the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, that's one of the major cities of Philistia, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who explained the riddle. In Judges chapter 15, 3,000 men captured Samson. They bound him and were taking him to the Philistines. When the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord, say the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Now, i got to tell you, the fact that it was a fresh jawbone leads me to wonder if that donkey wasn't actually still using it when Samson found it. But, but uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a gruesome story. Uh, but nevertheless, you get the point again. And I trust by now you have noticed a pattern. Concerning these great men God raised up and anointed to lead the nation of Israel. When the Spirit of the Lord 
came upon them. They were changed. They were emboldened. They were empowered to accomplish the work of God. And recognizing that Jesus' apostles had been raised on these Old Testament stories, suddenly it's not quite so strange that when Jesus says, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, they imagined themselves being empowered to drive out the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel. Not so crazy when you know your Bible. After all, he'd done it repeatedly in days gone by. I remember when I was a little boy, I had this um, Bible coloring book. I don't remember anything about the coloring book, except I remember one page. I remember the picture of Samson. Uh, rippling with muscles, hair flowing, holding a lion just like this. I, I was little. That picture had to make an impression on me because I can still see it perfectly in my mind today. Anybody have Bible story books or coloring book with a picture? Anybody grow up with pictures of Samson anywhere? Nobody? I'm the only one? Okay. All right. Well, I'm so sorry for your childhood. Uh, um, I, I got to tell you, every picture I've ever seen of Samson, Every rendering, every painting, every drawing of Samson, he always looked more or less like this. <laughs> but what if? What if Samson didn't look like that? What if Samson looked more like this? What if Samson looked way more ordinary, listen to me, way more ordinary, with a far more normal-looking physique? I'm going to tell you this morning, I confidently believe that was the case. Because listen to me, his strength didn't come from his great muscles. And contrary to popular opinion, it didn't come from his hair. His strength came when the Spirit of the Lord would come on him. His strength came from the presence and the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. Time and again, in Judges 13 through 16, the Philistines would ask, what is the secret of his great power? What is the secret of his great strength? I'm going to tell you, if he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't think they would need to ask. I think he was a regular guy on whom the Spirit of God moved somebody maybe just like you over and over in the old testament the spirit of god would anoint and empower different people and god would use those people then to deliver his people and the pattern continued once they had kings before anointing saul to be king over israel the prophet samuel said to him the spirit of the lord will come uh, upon you in power. You will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. In the very next chapter, Nahash the Ammonite uh, was going to attack Gilead. He, he threatened to attack. They said, please don't attack. We'll make a treaty. He said, the only treaty I'll take is if you poke out, every one of you pokes out an eye. It was his intent to humiliate the people of God, to disgrace them. The Bible says, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. 
The next day, he led a group of men and crushed the camp of the Ammonites. Similarly, when Samuel anointed David as king, the Bible says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Listen, whatever else you may think about the disciples and their earthly-minded response to Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, at least they understood this. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever that may mean, is a really, really big deal. They were convinced, at the very least, that it meant a powerful change would happen in them. So in Acts 1.5, Jesus promised, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.6, the apostles replied, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Their focus was in the wrong place, in the kingdoms of this world rather than the kingdom of our God. But their understanding of the Holy Spirit, I want to submit to you, was spot on. They knew that being baptized in the Spirit of God was meant to change them mightily. That being baptized in the Spirit of God was meant to empower them to do the work of God in this world. And Jesus confirmed that expectation, saying in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, under the Old Covenant, God was establishing a nation. Under the New Covenant... He's preparing the way for his kingdom. And so with the judges and the kings in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would periodically anoint and empower them to lead certain men and to conquer others. In this New Testament era, however, the power of the Holy Spirit is given to make you a witness, to make you something you were not before he came, to make you someone who testifies to the goodness of God and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to make you someone whose life is evidence of the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the grace of God, whose life is evidence that God is alive and well and at work right now in and with and through people. The Holy Spirit comes to you today to bring you the power to be who God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do, to live how God wants you to live, to love how God wants you to love. The Holy Spirit brings power to work in your life, to make your life an example of the presence of God and the work of God in and through a regular human being. The Holy Spirit comes to you today to make you exhibit A in the case for Christ in this world. The prophet Samuel said to Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will be changed into a different person. And I want to tell you that plan of God, that intention of God, that desire of God has not changed. It is still his desire for you today. Still the plan of God for you today to send his Holy Spirit to you and change you. To make you born again into a brand new person in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And to empower you to be a witness for the Lord Jesus as he works to seek and save the lost. Today, the Holy Spirit's unlikely to come and empower you to fight off a bunch of Philistines 
or rip a lion or even a goat. But the Holy Spirit does come today to empower you to point people to Jesus. In sending the Holy Spirit to baptize believers after his resurrection, the Lord was not restoring the kingdom to Israel. He was preparing to restore the world to himself. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, it's so you can be a meaningful participant in that work of God. It's a really big deal. And I pray you take it just as seriously as those apostles did in Acts 1-6. Let's pray. Father God, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Your word that always tells us the truth. Your word that shows us who you are and how you are and what you're about. Your word that shows us who we are and how we are and how you've created us to be. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us faith to believe like those apostles believed that the Spirit of God will truly change us. That the Spirit of God will truly empower us to live lives with God and for God in this world. Stir up your people, O Lord, we pray. Stir up your spirit within us. Lord, for those who have not encountered you in this way, draw them and bring them in. Lord, may we all begin to walk in the life you created us to walk in, a life with you and for you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.